Well, this morning, I'm going to speak about friendship. And, of course, it's uh, perhaps the, the great friendship in the Bible is David and Jonathan. And um, you, ever he you ever hear of Mephibosheth <laughs> and Lodabar? Well, we're going we're to talk a little bit about that. But hopefully, as, as we begin, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So as we look at that, sometimes, you know, I, I remember I, I've read this, and, you, and uh, it has always been in the reference that Saul is, um, Paul is talking about his relationship with Timothy as a father and a son, and it's like, it's like that type of a situation, but one of the authors, as I was looking at this, talked about if there's anything that describes friendship, it is that particular sequence of, of uh, explanations. He says, I have no one else like him. So Timothy is someone that, that Paul trusts, and, and they have established this relational experience. Um, it shows concern for your welfare. All right? You know, if you think about a friend, um, what position a friend has in one's life, they're concerned about you, um, has proven himself as a son with his father, they are dedicated, they are helpful, they watch out as a father and son, son and father, uh, so that is a friendship. They've served me in the work of the gospel, and friendship is one that we have, it's a mutual serving and sharing. So um, if you look at this commentary here and you look at the Philippi and where Paul is at here and you're looking at this inner circle of um, followers and teachers here you would basically look at him and say now that's a very good group of friends <laughs> that's a that's a a quality of friendship that has pulled them together and I think of it in the sense of being um, you know we used to uh, call each other brother and sister you know why? Because of the family of God. That we still, I still have people that will write me a letter and talk about Brother McGee. <laughs> Brother and Sister McGee, you know? And that's just the way it was. Years ago, you had this um, relational experience, and it was one of friendship and fellowship. I remember Rachel coming home from uh, college years ago, and she said, well, we had a lot of fellowship. You know, it was like it was kind of uh, the, being the... Uh, I wouldn't say she was mocking, but just the idea that everything was fellowship, you know. Well, so we find in our life, friendship is, is something that we value uh, deeply. Friendship is discussed, has been discussed for, fr for centuries. And different, um, different ethnic groups, different Romans, the, the, the Jews, uh, the, uh, the, the Greeks, all of them had... Um, spoken of friendship and how that friendship was exhibited. So friendship is not using people to one's advantage. 
Friendship is, um, and that's not friendship, that's bullying. Friendship is about people being people, people caring for people. That friendship is about allow, allowing someone else to be themselves. And we don't have to be some, put on something for them, just and back and forth. It's a relational experience, a friendship experience that allows us this, situa- this type of relationship. And we also know that Jesus says that he is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. So in this area of friendship, we are not only looking at our relationship with people, but we're looking at how that Jesus has established that relationship with us. You know, it's, it's not so much that I'm a friend of Jesus, but, you know, Jesus is a friend of mine. You know, sometimes in friendships, people are able to, you know, the name droppers, well, I'm a friend of, you know, so-and-so, and they're a very important person. Well, that very important person probably don't even know who they are, but, you know, <laughs> people claim to be their friends. So friendship is about people being people, caring for one another. It's when a person is not a burden, <laughs> that there's not the, oh, no, so-and-so's coming again. <laughs> Can we set a timer on this, you know? Um, so I'm sure none of you have ever had one of those. Um, <laughs> I won't go there. But anyhow, he <laughs> just <laughs> didn't think of those people. But, uh, you know, the, but friendship is something that isn't, um, isn't a burden, isn't cumbersome, isn't, uh, I wish they would soon go home. It was like, um, you know, there's a time limit on how long you can stay. Yeah. So one person quoted that there's no better thing that has been given to humans than friendship. And brotherly love is the love for one's fellow man as a brother. So the expression is taken from the Greek word philos, which means Philadelphia. So love of brothers. So Philadelphia was named after that, but I don't know if that name exists in the hearts of the people in Philadelphia. Sometimes I've visited there and I wonder, but it's the same with any big city. So please, if you're from Philadelphia and you're watching today, (laughs) don't have to send me cards. That was pretty much of a lame joke. (laughs) Somebody's watching me from Philadelphia. But anyhow, if you are, it's great. Um, So the the trait distinguished in the early church communities was this philios, this brotherly love. And so... That's what most characterized the early church, was a type of brotherly love. So let us have, Romans 12.10, let us have real warm affections for one another, as between brothers and a willingness to let the other man have the credit. Easy to read version says, love each other in a way that makes you feel close like brothers and sisters, and give each other more honor than you give yourself. So we find that this understanding of uh, philos, this brotherly love, is a characteristic that was really a great part of the early church. And if you think of the background from which these people came, you know, it was (laughs) the Romans, the Grecians, the the Jews. um, There was this type of love and connectedness was not very familiar to them. Paul, uh, in the letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 4, says, We don't need to write to you about having love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. God has already taught you to love each other. I thought that was quite interesting. God has taught you to love each other. 
So reflecting the love of Christ is really learning to love and care for one another, and it is very much a part of who we are and who our friendship with Jesus is. Uh, John 13, 35. All people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. So Jesus is telling us it's a character trait of believers, that you have a love and a, a concern, a fellowship, friendship with other believers. Jesus also says in uh, John 15, you are my friends. Now remember, Jesus is saying this, you are my friends. Uh, if you do whatsoever I command you. Now, we'd say, okay, if you do what I want, I'll be your friend. And that's not what Jesus is saying. He understands what it is to be a friend, and he also knows what it is that can keep people in a, in a relationship with friends and with God. So whenever he tells us, if you do what I command you, he's actually saying to us, I have, I have a way that we can maintain our friendship and you can grow in your friendship with me, God, and with one another. So if you do what I command, hence I call you not servants. Now, a servant is someone who mechanically just goes through the routine of doing everything they do. They have no understanding of the outcome and uh, they have no understanding of what it's all about. All they are responsible for is to do it. So um, it's uh, one of the mothers I know very well from the wedding. Um, she was walking down the aisle, and I said, well, you have to stop there. And she says, who said so? I said, I did. <laughs> you know, I did. You have to stop there. Okay, you know, you know it's part of the procedure. You, how many weddings have you been to? Maybe one, you know. Uh, so you were the bride. You weren't walking in with your, 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 you know, with your family. So the understanding is that when Jesus gives us a command, it's for us to work together and how that we can work together by loving and caring for one another without being used. So um, hence I call you not servant. Jesus is saying this. I do not call you a servant. I don't expect you to do things out of rote or mechanical um, boringness, repetition, you know. I don't want you to do this out of repetition um, because you, uh, for, the, for the servant knoweth not what the Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. You know why, Jesus, you know why you do what you do because Jesus has a plan for you. So when we talk about friendship, Jesus has a plan for us and guess what? The body of Christ functions together. That at one, as we work together with one another and have friendships, we establish like a communication and a growing and going type of relationship. And Jesus is saying, I call you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I've made known to you. <laughs> what I have received from the Father, I make known to you. Free, unrestrained, unrestrained fellowship. A free, unrestrained fellowship. That's our relationship with God. Why? You have not chosen me, I chose you. And I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So the most perfect and absolute counsel of God is the word spoken by Jesus himself. This is God's counsel to us, and he is letting us know what he is asking of us. 
Abraham was called the friend of God because he enjoyed extraordinary access to the mind of God through God's revelation to him. So this, revel- this understanding of friendship takes us to a place of, of revelation, or, you know, it's not a new revelation. It is a, a revelation of understanding what the scriptures are saying to us. And whenever he tells us here, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, I will give it to you. So we find that there is a revelation, there is an understanding of our relationship with God that God has promised to, to give to us. Now, one of the most, one of the great, <laughs> one great perspective of friendship is David and Jonathan. Now, Jonathan was the son of King Saul, king of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. And David was the son of Jesse of Bethlehem, of the tribe of Judah. And David was, presumably, <laughs> Jonathan's uh, rival for the crown. So we look at this and we say, wow, those are two individuals that uh, <laughs> wonder how long they're going to get along. But the story of David and Jonathan is one of the great friendship stories in the scriptures. Jonathan went to great lengths to protect David from his father. You would say, what? Well, King Saul kind of had this, um, he didn't have it all together. <laughs> King Saul was a very jealous and uh, he was, um, um, he didn't feel secure in his relationship and in his position as king. So he always thought somebody was trying to steal it from him. Well, you know, if David kills Goliath uh, and uh, he, he now He's promised great wealth from the king. You know, the king promised that you, you, you'll have great wealth, you get to marry my daughter, and you never have to pay taxes. So, you know, so that was reason enough for him to keep David in the court because he wanted to keep an eye on him. So Jonathan, though, he and David just, they clicked. They became very good friends. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Now, here the Bible is bearing witness to love between two people of the same gender. And it is not (laughs) taken out of context to be something that is sexual. It is a friendship type of love. And it is a friendship. And if we see the connection between David and Jonathan, we perhaps then can see the connection between Christ and us. That we have this commitment to Christ. He has this commitment to us. And as we look at David and Jonathan, we see this deep bond, this virtue, a friendship of the highest character, of which they truly are great friends. In 1 Samuel 18, so Saul decided to take David with him. He would not let David go back to his father. So after David kills Goliath, he, you know, he comes to Saul's camp, and uh, he doesn't let David go back home. No. Remember David's brothers, they were saying, what are you doing here watching us in this battle? You just come to see us fight. Who's watching the sheep? <laughs> and after he kills Goliath, he goes to the king's camp. You know, he's in the king's tent. And um, the king would not let him go back home. So after David finished talking with Saul, Jonathan developed a strong friendship with David. So after David had taken on Goliath, he's in the tent, he's in the camp of King Saul. He and Jonathan became friends. Jonathan is next in line to be king of Israel, you know, the heritage that is there. So Jonathan, in verse 4, says, well, verse 3, Jonathan loved David as much as himself, 
So they made a special agreement. You know, <laughs> I think of the Native Americans, they would do blood brothers, you know, you cut your hand, put the blood together, you're blood brothers, you're, re you're, for, you're responsible for each other from then on. So um, cultures have been talking about this type of relationship and friendship for centuries. But in this case, there was this covenant, this agreement that they made together. Um, and I think it's more than, you know, like kids make an agreement, you know, if we do this, we do that. You can't tell, you know, make agreements, swear, pinky figure, you know, whatever that is, you know, pinky swear, you know, people making a covenant. Any of you girls done that? Pinky swear? Oh, that's, that's an old thing. Rhonda and I did it. So anyhow, <laughs> we heard of it, so it's, it must be an old thing. So anyhow... Only, only I'm old, not Rhonda. So anyhow, I thought I'd put that in before we leave church today because I want to ride home. And, uh, <laughs> but we find that um, Jonathan then took off his coat he was wearing and gave it to David. In fact, Jonathan gave David his whole uniform, including his sword, his bow, and even his belt. What happened is Jonathan, <laughs> maybe in their agreements, David talked to Jonathan about being anointed by Samuel to be king. Now, maybe he was, maybe he didn't. But what it means when Jonathan is taking his robe and his, all this, he is saying, I am the prince next in line to be king, and I am giving you, I'm giving that to you. Now, that's friendship. I am taking what I have and my royal position to be line, in line for king, and I am bestowing it upon you. So their friendship, um, in verse 4, that Jonathan is willing to relinquish all of these things, his shield, his, his sword, his belt, his, his cloak, his royal robe. He's relinquishing his, his position as prince of Israel for his friendship with David. He recognizes that David is someone very special and, he's, and he has, he's of great value and importance to the nation of Israel. So Jonathan quickly discerned that he, David, is God's anointed. Now, it wasn't just a spiritual bond for Jonathan. He made a covenant. He made an agreement that is almost like signing a contract in his, in, in his heart, in his mind. He made this agreement. So Jonathan made a pledge of mutual loyalty with David because he loved him as much as he loved himself. So what a great friendship. What a great relationship that they had. And we know that Saul tried to kill David and, and Jonathan would watch out for David. You know, they had, a, they had a, a meeting one day and, you know, David's saying, your dad's trying to kill me. He threw a spear at me, you know. And Jonathan says, um, well, if my dad is trying to kill you, the king is trying to kill you, I'll shoot the arrow and I'll miss the target and shoot over it. <laughs> and so Jonathan found out his dad was trying to kill, lure David in and he shot over the, the mark and David knew that he had to flee and stay out of sight from, from uh, Saul. Well, in 2 Samuel 4, we find, um, what do we, what we find here? Oh, in 2 Samuel 4, uh, Saul's son, Jonathan, 
had a son named Mephibosheth. He was five years old, and when the news came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed, the woman who cared for Mephibosheth picked him up and ran away. But while running away, she dropped the boy, and he became a cripple in both feet. So being dropped, he broke both legs. And of course, there was no one at that time or didn't take him somewhere to get his legs set. So he grew from there with broken legs, and he, became, he was, became a cripple. And so after the incident, the accident, Mephibosheth was carried with the rest of his family beyond the Jordan to the Mount of Gilead. And he went there to uh, stay in Lodabar. Well, the challenge is, have you ever been dropped? <laughs> now, this isn't necessarily dropped physically, but dropped emotionally dropped, seemingly dropped spiritually, in which you were broken. And that things just don't go right, things have just fallen apart. You think about Mephibosheth, his father is dead, he's in line, he's, he also is in line for the king, and what usually happens is a, a couple of the brothers along with Jonathan were killed in the battle, but Later on, not too far along after this, the rest of the sons of Saul were all killed. So you, usually the, 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 the king who takes over kills everybody that uh, could be related to the king that would claim a, 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 um, a position of the, of the kingdom and of the throne. And so they just kill everybody and be done with it. Um, who was, was Herod at the time of Christ? Uh, he killed all of his relatives. He killed his kids. Killed his he killed everybody. You know, he was so paranoid. But in this case, we look at being dropped. <laughs> being dropped emotionally, being dropped physically, being dropped in a way that you feel like, you know, there's no hope left. Everything has been taken from me. And, 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 and um, Mephibosheth was five years old when this happened. And so he was dropped, and where did he go? He went to Lodabar, which means this is, you know, no pasture, without order, disorderly, no leader, nor governor, rebellious, no shepherd, without pasture, no issue, barren, without speech, dumb, not the word or oracle, false, untrue. This is a pit. <laughs> It is the worst place you could ever go to live. And what happens is Mephibosheth, who's been dropped, now goes to live in this pit of a city. <laughs> and there he's living, and he's old enough to have a child. So he's been there a while. And we find that there was no word to encourage um, or communicate. So what is the message then out of Lodabar? You're no good. Baby, you're no good. Baby, you're just no good. <laughs> That's the message from Lodabar. They played that on the loudspeakers. That's a song. Baby, you're no good, you know. So, so anyhow, uh, <laughs> there, was a, there, was a, there was a preacher, he says, he turned on the radio, and he, he very seldom listens to it, and he says, I turned it on, and there's this song. And he's one of these, you know, everything's good, everything's positive. He says, why do people listen to this? <laughs> Baby, you're no good. <laughs> so that's the message of Lodabar. 
And that's the message that um, Mephibosheth has, has found himself in. So God is bringing us, first of all, we're, we're, people can be crippled because they've been dropped. Second, they can be living in Lodabar, which is nothing good can come out of Lodabar, and nothing good can happen to you there. And the message is that God is bringing you out of that place where his presence is abundant. God is bringing you from a place of nothing to a place of abundance in his presence. He's taking you from a place of no friendship to a place of friendship and relationship. We find that it is God is bringing him to a place of rest, a place of green pastures, a place where there is no fear and no condemnation. So coming out of that place of you're no good to a place of being um, in a position of driving forward to completion. So we find that in, in, in this lady's haste to rescue <laughs> uh, Mephibosheth, she drops him. And we find that um, the question really comes now, friendship. How far will friendship go? How far back will friendship reach? Well, many years later, David remembers his, his, after he's secure as a king and everything is going well, he has this understanding that he wants to be kind to anyone who is left from the house of Saul. And in his search, he finds that there is Mephibosheth. And so David restores Mephibosheth. He brings him out of the city and... <laughs> In, in one translation, it talks about that he is so filthy that he hasn't, he hasn't bathed or had clothes of, of anything. I mean, of, you know, it's just, a, it's just a place of mess. He's a total mess. And he's coming before David, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. He's the last living relative of Saul. He's probably bringing me up there to kill me. <laughs> you know, so he brings him in, and perhaps it is that he is a crippled that David recognizes he doesn't offer a threat to him. Who knows? That was another commentary. But um, what he does is he restores Mephibosheth to King Saul's, all of his land, all of his servants. He gives it all to Mephibosheth. <laughs> and beyond that, he gets to eat at the king's table. He gets to eat at the king's table. So when we look at the, the parallels here, we find that sometimes people are dropped. Sometimes we're broken. And sometimes people live in this, the worst of, not necessarily the worst of conditions, but the worst of mental conditions. And God is saying to us, I want to be your friend. I have chosen you that you can be my friend and I will walk with you as a brother, as a friend walks with a brother. I will be all of that and I will allow you to eat at the king's table. <laughs> I will allow you to understand the promises that I've given to you. So I have retaken away the, the, the despair and the disgrace and now I've brought you and you are wealthy. <laughs> all, of the, all of the income of the lands of your grandfather now belongs to you. All the people that are needed to work that land belongs to you. And he takes them from Lodabar to the palace. Huh. Then King David sent an officer to Lodabar to bring Jonathan's son. 
Um, he brought him there, and David said to Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth said, Yes, sir, it is I, your servant, Mephibosheth. David said to Mephibosheth, Don't be afraid. I will be kind to you because of your father, Jonathan. I will be kind to you because of the friendship I have with your dad. <laughs> you know, we've been having our class, you know, graduated 1967. And uh, <laughs> we get together once a month. Uh, and this past month, probably my, well, my, I, one of my best friends ever in high school was there. And it was so nice to see them and so nice to remember the friendship we had in high school and not seeing each other for all these years. And, you know, it's just like there's a, a kinship, a friendship, like we've never been apart. And I think of that friendship here with Jonathan, and that Jonathan and David, their, their friendship is so, so secure that he remembers his son, who's the cripple, lost and forgotten. He brings him back and restores him to his family. Think about that in our own life. Christ brings us back from sin and despair, and we sit at the king's table. We, the king has given us everything that we need. Then King David called Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given Saul's family and everything he owns to your, to your master's grandson, Mephibosheth. Friends don't leave friends behind. That's the friendship of God and with us. Jesus said, and we read this earlier, John 15, you are my friends. Jesus is saying this to us. You are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you, what does he command? To forgive, to love, to encourage, to uplift, to hold one another up. Henceforth I call you not servant. Jesus does not think of us as a servant. He thinks of us as a friend. Because the servant knoweth not what the Lord does. God is letting us in on his plan. He's coming back. <laughs> He's coming back and he wants us and he wants our friends and families to be ready. And so he instills us with the spirit and with the power to do so. For all things that I have heard of my father, I make known to you. There's nothing, I don't keep anything hidden from you. You have not chosen me. I've chosen you to be my friend. That's what God says to us. He has chosen you to be his friend. Don't live in, don't live in Mephibosheth. If, excuse me, don't live in Lodabar. Don't focus on being dropped. Focus on how that God has redeemed us from all of that and brought us to a place where we have relationship, fellowship, friendship with God. We are a friend of God. Amen? So, Lodabar. <laughs> you know, I don't know why I thought this week. I was just, whatever, whatever, whatever reason, Mephibosheth and Lodabar, okay? That just fell right into my head. It's like, well, why do I want to talk about that? <laughs> Here it is. Let's all stand, shall we?
Father, we do thank you that you have called us to your kingdom for such a time as this. And Lord, we recognize our position. We are friends. You are our friend. And God, we are your friends. We thank you for that privilege. And God, you bring us out of Lodabar, the place of where nothing makes sense, where despair and <laughs> there's no direction and there's only the feeling of brokenness. But God, you bring us out of that place. You establish our feet. You establish our going in and our coming out. And we are blessed by inheriting all that our Father has given to us. We thank you for that blessing. Help us, O oh God, to believe. Help us, O oh God, to have faith and understanding for all that you do in our lives. We ask your blessing upon us and upon our families. Guide us, we pray. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen. Amen.